from Belize Elohim Community Church. We are uh, blessed to have you join us again on this Sunday. And even though we are uh, some distance apart, uh, we still have one Lord and one faith. We serve the same great God. So um, our hearts are, are, especially those that have had the privilege of being down there to serve, to serve you and to serve with you, um, our hearts are very much knit uh, with yours. So we look forward when God opens that door for us to come back. Um, our hope and prayer is that that would be um, not this summer, but the following summer is what Justice and I have been talking about. So the summer of 2023. So uh, my people here can, can mark that in their calendars and circle it. We will start talking about um, that trip as long as with that, let's look at the word. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 1, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you and we intercede as your body for the churches across this nation and across this world. Truth would go forth. Um, from your pulpits. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Belize who have had um, challenging times these last few years, more challenging than most of us have had. We pray that you would continue to sustain them, continue to lift them up, continue to be um, Jehovah Jireh, the, the God that provides. And Lord, we all brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray that the church there would be the church. Give wisdom uh, beyond their years to the pastors and the leaders there in the churches uh, to know how to shepherd and guide their flock, what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. Um, help them, Lord, walk in truth before you, in godliness before you, in righteousness before you. Protect uh, the believers there, God. Um, be gracious to them. And Father, thank you that we can gather here today as brothers and sisters. We can us as well, and we are privileged to be able to read your word, to hear your word, and then, Lord, the hope and prayer is that we So let us hear it and read it and then respond in faith, Lord, to the word you give us today. Thank you for our great God that you are ever faithful. Continue to be with us as we know you will. Well, in this passage, we come to really a transitional part of the epistle, but Paul just doesn't make transitions to make transitions. There's something important in this transition for us. And here's what I want to say at the outset. Whenever we're talking about word, whenever we're talking about what God wants to teach us, he wants us to first learn, know, and then practice. So he's given the Thessalonians um, and us five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, and we've already gotten two chapters in 2 Thessalonians, which brings him to this point where he kind of pauses before he goes on to talk about idleness and being hard workers. 
And why he's pausing is because he wants to remind us of something that we all need to hear. So Paul's going to instruct them on this important thing that we need to hear. But here's the thing. It is not enough for us to just learn. Yes, we are supposed to be learners, but it's not just enough for us to learn. We're supposed to go to the next step, and that's to know. See, some believers, they just stop with the learning. They can learn all sorts of things, and it's almost like it's in one ear and out the other, you know. I know none of you ever do that with my sermons. If I ask you next week uh, what the sermon was about this week, you could probably give me all the points of it, right? But sometimes for believers, they just learn it, and then, I mean, then it's gone. That's not good. But some believers, they learn it, and then they know it. But we don't want to just stop there, because learning and knowing is not enough. If you learn and know, you can, you can talk about it. You can have a discourse about it. You're knowledgeable about it. But here's the thing. As believers, we, might, we must not must go to the final step, which is to practice it. Uh, James talks about it, right? Don't be like the man who, what does he do? He looks in, in the mirror, and then what happens? Walks away, and he, he forgets what he looks like, right? So don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. We must practice what we have learned and now know. Think about like riding a bike. It seems like such a simple task once you learn how to do it and kind of master it. You could not ride a bike for many years. And if you know how to ride a bike, you can hop right on that thing and you are good to go. But when you talk about riding a bike, I mean, you have to learn how to do it, right? And some of you who are parents and you taught your kids how to do that, you know, you're like holding on to the back of the bicycle seat, you know, and kind of pushing them along. They're trying to learn and they can even know how to do it. They're supposed to pedal and brake if there's a problem and all those different things. But at some point they have to practice. And at some point we got to just let go of the seat and what happens, what happens. And sometimes what happens ain't so good, right? But <clears throat> that's how we are. Believers aren't just learners and we're not just knowers. We are doers, doers of the word. So we're going to learn some things today, and hopefully you're going to know these things, then we want to practice them. So what is the important thing we all need to hear? Well, it's really four words. You take nothing away from the sermon besides this and take this away. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And I want you to see that the Lord is indeed faithful. And because the Lord will do things this week and next week, because the Lord is faithful, he will follow what he has said. And we're going to look at two things today. The first is this. Because the Lord is faithful, he will establish you. Look at verse 3. It starts out, the Lord is faithful. He will establish, some versions say strengthen. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, this was foreshadowed just a couple of verses earlier in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. Paul actually says this is part of his prayer. Look back at verse 16. He's saying, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. I mean, that's the same word, that, that established. So that's what he's been praying for them. And now we see it's like a confident assertion. Why is it a confident assertion? Not because the Thessalonians have any, any guarantee by themselves of what they're doing that they're going to follow through, but because of who God is. God is faithful, so he's going to 
establish them? Why do they need this? Like, what's the issue going on, and why do we need it? Well, because there's been opposition. When we look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, remember, they were facing opposition. What was the opposition? Look back in chapter 2 of 1 Verse 14, haters of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So where's the suffering coming from? What's the source of it in this case? The fellow countrymen, other citizens of Thessalonica. Where does our opposition come from at times? Other citizens of O'Fallon, other citizens of this state, other citizens from this country. So notice how Paul addresses this situation and how God helps them to be established. All the way back in 1 Thessalonians, if you're still there, look at chapter 3. You got to kind of see this, how God is working. And so that's why it's, you know, important to make sure we understand the context of passages. Everything that Paul has spoken to them about in 1 Thessalonians and the first two chapters of 2 Thessalonians is important for us to know and understanding what's being communicated here. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. Thank you. So he says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So they weren't, I mean, Paul hadn't had a report yet. He wasn't sure how they were doing. And he's like, man, I can't stand it any longer. We got to figure out what's going on. What does he do? He sends Timothy. What's Timothy's job when he is sent? We find out right there. Establish and exhort you in your faith. Same word, establish. This. First. Why do we need this word from the Lord? Why do we need to understand that, hey, he will establish us? Because we face opposition too. But listen to me. The Lord is always at work. He is always at work, even in the toughest of situations. And he is faithful. So notice the bigger picture here that we've seen. They're praying for the Thessalonians. That's what we see in, in chapter the end of chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. But then what? Timothy has already been sent to help. What's he, what's he being sent to establish? What are they praying for to be established? What is what's Paul saying confidently because of who God is? They will be established. So they keep praying for them in 2 Thessalonians here. And then they know God will bring it to fruition. Not because the Thessalonians are anything special. But because God is there, God is in the picture, he is the one who will establish them. Timothy, if you think about it, in part, is the answer to the prayer. I mean, sometimes we're used by God to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Has that ever happened to you? Like God uses you, someone else is praying, and he uses you. And sometimes we need a brother or sister to be used by God to be the answer to our prayer. And that's why we want to, I mean, let me, this is almost like a side note, but that's why we want to walk in obedience and make sure we're following God's commands that we're hearing from him. Why? Because he uses us in other people's lives. We like walking answers to prayers in other people's lives. 
And if we're just walking in obedience or we're just doing our own thing, like, it's kind of hard for God to use us. Now, amazingly enough, he can still use us even in our disobedience, but he uses us much more in our obedience. When we are walking in the truth and in the light, we are walking in delight. But here's the thing. We are walking answers to prayer, and God's using us all over the place in ways we don't even fully realize. We probably won't even know this side of the kingdom. So sometimes, you know, I talk to people, and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't go to church. I, you know, I'm a believer, but I don't go to church. I mean, they're missing out in many ways. They're not putting themselves in a position for God to use brothers and sisters. Listen, people in this room need your ministry. And I need your ministry. And you need our ministry to you. But if you're not present, guess what? You miss out on that. You miss out on the ministry. Some of it's happening uh, beforehand, before the service. Some of it's happening in the service. Some of it's happening after the service. Some of it's happening at the men's prayer uh, time on Tuesday morning. Some of it's happening at the ladies' Bible study. Some of it's happening at Reformation. I mean, there's ministry going on. But if you're not present, you're not even there to be a part of that. You're not even there to potentially be ministered to or have God use you to minister to others. Remember, you know, going to church, it's not about you. It's about him. And, and going to church, I mean, you do get something, and you will get something every time you come to church. But it's not about you going to, you know, selfishly take something. You need to hear the word. You need to receive it. You need to respond to it. But it's not to be like uh, puffed up for the week or get your little Jesus fix. Like sometimes, it's, you know, if we got to come to church to get, to get charged up um, and that's our only charge, friends, I mean, God's word doesn't stop working and it's not, not, not available to you the moment you walk out the door. You can hear that word anytime you want. Just you and Jesus in your closet reading the word. So we, we want to be used by him to be answered prayers for other people. I mean, I'm praying for all sorts of people. I don't know who y'all are praying for, but I'm praying for a lot of people. Okay? Praying for you all. Yeah, you're welcome. But I'm, I'm praying for people. And guess what? Uh, very likely, I'm not going to be, God is not going to use me in every single one of your lives at that particular thing that I'm particularly praying for you. But guess what? I believe he will use other people. And he wants to use other people to answer those prayers. And you're not going to be able to, to, however many people you're praying for, I mean, you can't be used by God in that way and all those different, well, you could, I guess, but it's very unlikely. He wants to use the body of Christ. The body of Christ. So I'm praying for people, I'm praying for people that live hundreds of miles away from me. It's a lot harder for me to minister. I still try, but it's a lot harder. But I know that there's believers probably right down the street from that person. And I'm praying, you know, by God's providence that there's a connection there and that they're listening to the Lord and they're walking in obedience and they're preaching the gospel and they're being a faithful witness and their paths cross so that the prayer is answered. You want your prayers answered? I want my prayers answered. Well, then let's, let's, let's do what God wants us to do and let's be used by him to be other people answered prayer. So here's the thing. Yes, God establishes us. That's what we're told right here. He will establish you. But how? 
Well, I mean, just by what I've just been sharing, through, through the Timothys that God puts in our lives. I mean, we all need Timothys in our lives sent to help establish us. And we want to be a vessel used by God to pour into others. Now, this message isn't about like, oh, who are the Timothys in your life? That's a separate message. No, the message today is you really need to all those around you. We're walking Timothys. We're sent, you know, Paul sends Timothy, but guess what? We're sent by God to be the Timothys to other people. So you don't need to have some type of special discipleship relationship to pour into people. You can pour into people. And all sorts of different people in my life, people spiritually more mature than me, people spiritually less mature than me, I mean, they poured into me. Greatly blessed in all sorts of situations. But guess what? If I wasn't in those situations, I wouldn't have been there to be blessed. So we have to be available, and we have to be present. There's something else the Lord is doing here as well. Notice back in verse 3, he's not just establishing you. He says he will guard you against the evil one. This guarding or protecting, uh, the idea is of someone or something from that which is dangerous or harmful. It kind of makes sense. And I'd say the evil one is pretty dangerous and harmful. So Paul here, I mean, he's just echoing really what the flavor of the Old Testament is in regards to God and his people. We'll just look at a couple verses because they're so good. <clears throat> look at Psalm chapter 12. Look what he says in verse 7, Psalm 12. You, O Lord, will keep them. This is David. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. But what is God going to do? He's going to keep them. What is he going to do? He's going to guard them. Why? He's a faithful God to whatever he says he's going to do. If God says it, he will follow it out. Look at Psalm 141. In verse 8 he says, But my eyes are toward you, Oh God, my Lord. I mean, think about that. Like, he's a faithful God. Where should we put our focus? Right there. On him. On Yahweh. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Again, what is the prayer from David here? For protection. To be guarded. And this is not like, when you think about this, and in the passage in 2 Thessalonians, I mean, it's not like a health and wealth gospel where, you know, you do this and you, and you get this blessing from the Lord. Um, believers aren't promised to enjoy a life free from hardship and opposition. In fact, 
We've already been told in 1 Thessalonians, we will suffer for our faith. And just to make it clear, let's look at it so you all can see it. 1 Thessalonians. It's in the verse we, right after the one we just read, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2. We read those about Timothy, and then it says that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know what? That we are destined for this. Destined for what? For the afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a false flavor of Christianity out there that, like, there's no suffering. There's no affliction. There's no trial. That's false. Passages like this and others show it. These people aren't reading their Bible. I'm sorry, but they're not. So it's not a health and wealth gospel. We already know we will suffer for our faith. We will suffer trials and afflictions. So there's nothing surprising about it. He even tells them that in the beginning of 2 Thessalonians in verse 4. <clears throat> he says, We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and all the afflictions that you are enduring. So he's acknowledging, hey, man, they're going through it. But in the midst of this sober reality, there is a comforting message that resounds over and over and over. And it is that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He will not let you down, but will strengthen you. He will establish you. He will guard you from whatever trials and tribulations the evil one may send their way from whatever trials and tribulations the citizens of our day might try to throw against us, whatever the world might try to do against us. And let me tell you something in regards to Satan. His influence only extends as far as God allows. Not one millimeter more. So if God gives Satan a four-by-eight cage to live and dwell in, that is where Satan will be. And if he makes that cage a little bit bigger, six by ten, that is where Satan will be. Satan can do nothing except which God allows him to do. I mean, that's just the sovereignty of God. Think of Job. Permission had to be granted by God each time. Right? Each time. Each time Satan wanted to do something, he, uh, he had to go get permission from God. I mean, do you think the Lord loves Job more than you? I mean, do you? I mean, of course not. He loves you with an everlasting love. It is a beautiful, amazing, eternal love. A steadfast love. The Hebrew word, hesed love. This covenantal love that he has for each one of you. So think about this. We are established and guarded because of what the Lord does for us. And the Lord has sent us into a hostile world. Now, it wasn't that way originally, but it is now. But friends, God will stand for us, and he will stand with us. In, in, in Acts, you know, we, we find primarily the, the travels of Paul, and in Acts 18, he's in Corinth. And it, and it tells us, that the people, in verse 6, it says they opposed 
and reviled him. Opposed and reviled him. Now, do you think Paul was some mean, cranky, nasty old man? No. He was walking in the fruit of the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit of God, preaching a message of truth. And what was the result? The first result was people opposed and reviled him. But then if you keep reading and just listen, it says a couple verses later, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And it goes on, it says, and the Lord said to Paul one night, so he's being opposed and he's being reviled, but now people are getting saved and getting baptized. And it says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. And here's the key for all of us. For I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. All you to do at your workplace, at your home, at your church, don't be afraid. Open your mouth. Speak the truth. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will establish you. I will strengthen you. I will protect you. I will guard you. Even Jesus in his, in his high priestly prayer, in, in the middle of that prayer, he's like, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And he did. And he still does. First Peter 5, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, going to do and what he is doing will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you it's a promise and friends all the promises of the scriptures are yes in christ jesus they are yes but you will have opposition and the world will come against you i coach a seventh and eighth grade girls basketball team it's a lot of fun actually and uh, yesterday, it was a, we had two games yesterday. It was the last two games of the season. <clears throat> I know some of you don't know a ton about basketball. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> but we were playing um, our first game, and um, we, had, we had a lead. And so we decided, you know, that there's a little bit of time left in the game, and it was kind of running down. We had a lead. We want to, you know, what's the purpose of playing that game? I mean, you're trying to win, right? So we had a lead. And we decided to, to what we call like chewing some clock. So we're going to, you know, pull the basketball out, kind of stand at half court, try to chew a little clock, work the ball around. And so, um, you know, my point guard dribbles down and she just crosses the half court line and she's just standing there and the clock's just running. And, and it, there's just really, just quick basketball side note, there's just two types of defenses in basketball. You can run what's called a man-to-man -man defense. Which, guess what? Like, you're assigned to a man. You cover that man, or in this case, a woman. Um, but you cover that person. But then there's also a zone defense where you're assigned to a particular area of the basketball court. And anyone comes into your area, you're supposed to guard them. Okay, that's, you know, that's basketball 101 for y'all. So they're running a zone against us. <clears throat> and so she's at the top of the key, and she's just dribbling. And she's just waiting there for someone to come and get her, and no one comes out to get her because they're just kind of like staying in their zone, kind of close to the basket. <clears throat> and... The coach on the other team is like absolutely losing his mind. Absolutely losing his mind. 
thinks that we have committed like the greatest crime in the history of basketball because she's just standing there, just dribbling the ball, waiting for someone to come out and get her. <clears throat> the fans from the other team, they start booing and yelling and making all sorts of comments, and, the, and our girl is just dribbling the basketball, just dribbling the basketball. Now, here's the thing. Basketball 102. If someone stands at the top of the, uh, uh, right across the half-court line and is dribbling and you want to keep playing basketball, what should you do on defense? Go get them. Not that hard. <clears throat> he is yelling at the top of his lungs so the entire gym can hear it. If that's how they want to play for the next three minutes, we're just going to stay in our place and they can just dribble the ball out. I was like, hey, thanks for letting me know your strategy. <laughs> because we're fine with just dribbling the ball out. <clears throat> and so it, was, it is very, you know, and, and when you're just dribbling it out and people are yelling at you and the coach is yelling at you, it was so bad the ref had to tell them to be quiet. It was bad. Um, that's very hard for a 13- and 14-year-old girl to do that, right? And, you know, they'd dribble, and then they'd kind of look over at me, right? And I'd be like, no, you're good, you're good, right? Um, and so different of my point guards were out there, including my daughter, doing that. That's hard to do. But here's the thing I told them afterwards. I said, we've learned many, 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 many things about basketball this season, okay? And we've had some great wins and some tough losses, but you just learned the most valuable lesson that I could ever possibly teach you, and I'm not even the one that taught you it. Those people taught you it. Because guess what? In your life, there are going to be people that are against you. And Satan is against you and is going to throw all sorts of nasty stuff your way and say all sorts of stuff that isn't true. And the world is going to say all sorts of stuff against you and is going to get upset with you and yell at you and scream at you. And even people that are in your life that you might think are friends are going to turn against you. And they're going to say mean and awful and nasty things against you. And guess what? You have to do the right thing. You have to walk in righteousness. And every single one of those girls, I'm sure that was very intimidating for me. My heart was racing like a thousand. I'm just standing there. <clears throat> because it is hard to do even in a situation like that. How much more so in the real world? But I told them, guess what? Take this lesson that you learned. You all handled that situation great. You didn't, you didn't get frustrated. You didn't, you, know, you didn't respond to like for like. And now practice that in the real world. And realize it will come. It will come from the world. It will come from Satan. It will come from people that you know in your life. And if you can learn that, then you were just taught one of the best lessons possible. Forget about everything else you learned this season. Take this away because you need to have this truth emblazoned in your heart. Satan doesn't want us to walk in truth and righteousness. Satan doesn't want you all to know God's word. He doesn't want you to be obedient to it. The world sets itself up with Satan and aligns itself with him and does everything it can to knock us down. And even people, sadly, in our lives sometimes set themselves against us as believers because we are trying to walk in righteousness. And those ladies yesterday on that court, they just got a small picture of what that might look like off the court. If you speak, you will face opposition. If we're going to speak the truth, opposition will occur. So, so we have to make a decision. Will we stand for truth and will we speak up for it? Did you know, think about this for a moment. Did you know if, 
if you lie, you can't be faithful. I mean, think about it. If you lie, you can't be faithful. Why? Because the words out of your mouth can't be trusted. So we literally, we literally can't put faith in what you say. We can't trust you. You yourself are not faithful to the very words you speak. So how can we consider you to be faithful? And if you're not faithful to what you say, then there's no hope for anyone to think you'll be faithful to what you say you'll do. And thus, people will see you as unfaithful. So if you want to be faithful, it starts with our words. It starts with our words. You know, a man who lies to his wife about various things and, and she catches him and knows it. I mean, and then he has a business trip coming up or he has to work late. Like, why would that wife believe her husband when he goes on that business trip or when he gets home late and he's like, well, I didn't look at anything and I didn't do anything against my marriage covenant with you? Like, what confidence is she going to have if he lies? He might be telling the truth. But she's not sure. The lies have shattered her faith in her husband. She knows he is not faithful with his words. So why would she think he's being faithful with his words now? I mean, men, if, if that's you, you need to repent of lying, of a lying tongue. And what about the wife who is hiding what she believes are small, innocent things from her husband and telling herself, oh, it's no big deal? Well, it's a big deal to Jesus. That's called deception. And deceiving is a form of lying. And, that we, and when that becomes a part of your marriage, you're building your marriage out of bricks made with lies. It's destructive. And ladies, if that's you, you need to repent of that deception. Listen, brothers and sisters, God is not mocked. Do not mock the very God you claim to serve in love. He is not mocked. He knows whatever's going on in each of our lives, whatever private hidden sin we might have, I might not know, other people might not know, your spouse might not know, but God knows. And he is not mocked. Let me tell you now, if that's the case, repent and get straight with God and make it right with whoever you need to in your life. You cannot say, I love Jesus over here and then lie, lie, lie over here. The two do not go together. They aren't pieces of the same puzzle. You know, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation. And you can destroy it in one night. Notice back in this passage the contrast that we have. We have the wicked and evil men are unfaithful. But then we have, again, the Lord is faithful. Satan is out to get you. He's a liar and a deceiver. He's faithless. But again, the Lord is faithful. And the world is against you. It will lie to you. It will cheat you. It will let you down. But the Lord is always faithful. He's always there. He's always present. He is ever faithful. And so we need to focus on God's faithfulness. That's where we put our attention. We focus on who God is and what he's done. 
You know, right before Moses dies, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. And, get, and guess what he does? He sings a song. Must have been a thing back then, but a little unusual today. But guess what he's singing about? He says this in part of his song. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So what's on his lips? I mean, he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to go be in God's presence fully, even more so than he was in the tabernacle. He's getting ready to die. What's he singing about? The faithfulness of God. That's what he's thinking about. And think even about God's faithfulness to Israel for 40 years in the desert. What are they told in Deuteronomy? I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not what? Worn out. Your sandals have not worn off your feet, he tells them in Deuteronomy 8. And what's the reason for it? That you may know that I am the Lord, your God. He was faithful to them. Even in the midst of their sin, he was faithful. And this is part of the covenant that God has made with Israel in Deuteronomy 7. It says this in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. So what's a faithful God going to do? He's going to be faithful. What's he going to be faithful to? His covenant, his steadfast love, the very nature of who he is. That's why he, he never changes. So it says, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Amen. And because he is faithful, you can always, you can always, you can always, 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 always depend on him. Always. So in this passage here, we have, we have two words being used right next to each other. In verse 2, it says, not all have faith. And then we have, in verse 3, the Lord is faithful. This little construction here is called a paranomasia. It's just the reoccurrence of the same word or, or same kind of stem in close proximity. The point is this. It's an effective way of speaking to highlight a contrast. On the one hand, we have people who don't have faith. On the other hand, we have God who is always faithful. Struggles, trials, afflictions, suffering, focus on God and who he is. We put the focus on where it should be, on God, on his throne, on his glory, on his majesty, nowhere else. Brothers and sisters, God will never let you down. He won't. You might feel like it. It's a lie. That's the attack from Satan. He will never let you down. He will never abandon you. He will never forget you. He will never deny you. He will never use you. He will never stop loving you. God's faithfulness, listen to what one theologian said, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God said it, he's going to do it. God promised it, he's going to follow through. He can be relied upon and he will never prove unfaithful to those who trust what he has said. Never prove unfaithful. And he goes on, indeed, the essence of true faith is taking God at his word. You hear that? 
The essence of true faith is taking God at his word and relying on him to do as he has promised. God, you've told me you're going to do this. I trust you. God, I'm not sure what's going on in this situation, but I trust you. God, you said you'd be with me every step of the way. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't matter what it feels like. I know it's true. Your word says it. I believe you and trust you. Paul is focusing on the faithfulness of God to remind us that he is faithful regardless of whatever chapters have come before in our life. He is here with us. He has brought us to this point, and he will see us through every single step of the way. You know, repeatedly, Paul uses this phrase, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful in his letters. There's two differences here, though, in this passage. One's minor. Um, it's still kind of major, but it's minor compared to the major. So one's minor, one's major. The minor difference when he uses it here <clears throat> is that he actually uses uh, the Greek word uh, for is. You, you know, if you know languages just a little bit, um, a lot of times that word is just left out in Latin and Greek. and he, It's just assumed that it's there. So really, if you just read it and you really didn't know how to translate Greek, it'd just be like God faithful. It's kind of cool, um, but it'd be translated God is faithful. So normally the, the is is missing. But here, Paul puts it in there. Why? Uh, because he's trying to emphasize something. That the idea is that he is faithful. Not he might be, or he could, or he will be. But no, right now, God is faithful. He wants to emphasize that fact to us. He is. He definitely is there's no doubt about it. The Lord is faithful. That's the minor difference. The major difference is that normally Paul would use the word theos, which is translated God. But here he uses the word kurios, or Lord. That's our translation. The Lord is faithful. What's Paul showing here? That the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, the one that he's been talking about for the last seven chapters of both letters, that he is God and he is a faithful God. He demonstrates how natural it is for him to take attributes of God, God being faithful, and apply them directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, with, with just 2 Thessalonians, I've pointed it out numerous times, but just 2 Thessalonians, like you can see the deity of Christ shining brightly through the pages brightly through. You can make a strong argument for the deity of Christ just with these little three-chapter books, and we're only two chapters into it. So <clears throat> um, it is very much present and screams from every single page of the New Testament who Jesus is. And here we're being told, yes, that Yahweh in the Old Testament that's faithful, yeah, guess what? His name is Jesus, and he is faithful. He is a faithful God that will walk with us. He is truly God. What has he done for us? Everything. Our life is in him. Our breath is in him. He created us. He made us. We are what we are because of what he has done and who he is. He's the savior, the redeemer, the conqueror of death. So today... 
let's not just let's not just learn this and know this. Let's put it into practice. Active trust in the Lord, knowing that He is faithful. That he will establish us and be with us when all the attacks come from the world and from wicked people. And he will protect us from the evil one. He will stand in the gap. He is our bulwark, never failing. He is strong and will prevail. And we can find shelter under his shadow. He is a mighty God that we are blessed to serve. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a faithful God who stands with us, who goes before us, who picks us up when we've fallen, who establishes us, who strengthens us, who guards us, who protects us. Sometimes, Lord, in thousands of ways we don't even see or know about. You're our protector. You establish us in you. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord, even when we, we are not faithful. And Lord, whatever areas currently that we are faithless, that we are choosing lies over truth, may we repent now. May we repent before your throne and seek your forgiveness. And for those lords in the midst of some tough trials and afflictions and suffering, reaffirm to those people, God, in specific ways your love for them. Show them clearly that you are with them, that you are faithful that you will walk with them every step of the way, that you will go before them and pave the way, and that you love them with a steadfast love that will never end. And that with you, with your spirit filling them, God, they can walk in truth and obedience after you and with you. Do this, we ask for your glory. Amen.